Well, hey, good morning, church family. Good morning, good morning. It's good to be with you guys. Good to see your faces. Good to worship together through singing. If you're new with us, just want to welcome you to church. My name is Joe Polino, and I serve as lead pastor here, and it is a joy to do so. How are we doing this morning? Okay. Well, I'm glad that majority of the people in the room are doing good. And if you're just here, hey, you are welcome. So, so glad that you are here. Um, well, hey, we've been going through the book or the letter of Ephesians this whole year. And so we are in chapter five of Ephesians. And as we've been going through this book of Ephesians, our, our prayer as a church is joining in with the prayer of Jesus for us. So Jesus prayed for those who would believe the church in John 17. And when you see a, a prayer of Jesus in the Bible, you kind of like, okay, like, what is he saying? If he's our example, what did he say? He's actually praying for us to be made one with God and made one with one another so that the world would know who Jesus is. So that has been our heart cry. Jesus, would you make us one? Would you make us one with you, make us one with one another so that others will see who you are? And so we've been going through a series um, called Love One Another, and that actually ended last week where we were uh, not, not the practice of loving one another, but our sermon, a sermon series on loving one another. And so we're going to continue doing that practice, but we are now going into Ephesians chapter 5 and 6 to close out our year. And that's going to lead us up to Thanksgiving. And just a little disclaimer, where we're at in Ephesians 1 through 10, if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles, that's where we're going to be. But just a little disclaimer for the parents in the room who have kiddos who are younger, we are going to talk about the topic of sexuality in the way of following Jesus today. And so while we have an amazing kids ministry and early elementary and uh, kids are, are, it's open there. Sometimes we have those rooms fill up if there's more people. So just wanted to let you know that. And while I think, and while I'm really excited about this message, because I think that we as the church and as parents need to early, uh, earlier than we probably think, form our kids and how uh, in the gift of sexuality, uh, I also realize that. Uh, for some who weren't expecting that, you might not welcome that pop quiz in parenting. Or if your kid's not ready for that conversation yet, wanted to go ahead and give a heads up. So um, normally I have uh, try to have a creative intro or story to get your attention. I think I have your attention uh, with the topic of Jesus and sexuality. So, uh, so talking about following Jesus in our sexuality is such a big need for us today. And it was such a big need for the early church as well. It's one of the things I love about preaching through a book of the Bible. Uh, you don't pick which topics are important. You just preach on what is, is in the Word. And so this is what we're doing. We're preaching on what is in the Word in Ephesians 5. And now I am genuinely um, excited to talk about this topic but I also have wrestled this week in trying to narrow this talk down because there's no way I can cover everything that needs to be said in 30 minutes, right? There's no way. Um, and uh, I do want to point to you just a resource for those who are interested in finding good books or good topics on this that does a, a pretty good job, I would say. There's great resources out there, but I want to point you to a book called A Better Story by Glenn Harrison. Like I said, there's great resources out there, but I just found this one to be really compelling and not just 
talking about the theology in our heads, but trying to ignite our hearts for why God's view of sexuality is actually a better story than we know. And so it was a really good read, uh, still reading through uh, some parts of it, but wanted to put that out there just on the front end. So, but for our time together, we're going to go through Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 10. Uh, and so as you're turned there, before we, we read, the question that I kind of helped narrow in this talk on was on that make us one. God, how does this topic, uh, how does this scripture and following you in our sexuality help us to be more united with you, united with one another so that the world can see who you are, so that the world can flourish? And so here's what we're going to see. Here's the roadmap for where we're going to go. Following Jesus in our sexuality means we will be met with, number one, the compassion of God, number two, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and number three, a calling to be light in the Lord. So you go, got my three C's in there, compassion of God, conviction of the Holy Spirit, and a calling to be light in the Lord. So we're going to be in Ephesians 5, 1 through 10. It'll be on the screens for you to follow along. There's also Bibles in the chairs in front of you or close by you somewhere. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. So it says in verse uh, 1 of chapter 5, it says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. I just want to invite you just to pray with me. God, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear from you uh, from this text? God, would you get me out of the way? God, would your words and your Holy Spirit come and just be our teacher? God, I pray that you would come and bring com compassion, conviction, and a calling. God, that there would be hope. God, there would be hope for every person here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. Well, point one is that we will see the compassion of God on this topic of sexuality. So let's go back and read verses one through three again. It says again in verse one, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because, because these are improper for God's holy people. Okay, so on reading these verses, follow God's example, we actually based our last five weeks of love one another on Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. 
So where it says, follow God's example, therefore as dearly beloved children, talking about how kids imitate their parents, imitate God in the way that he loved you, we want you to also walk in the way of love with one another. I, I, man, that's really encouraging to me. You go on and say, how did Christ love us? He loved us by giving himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That is the grace of God. That is not because of anything uh, appealing in me, because of God's love for me, because I love God because he first loved me, 1 John 4, 19. So I want to raise my hand and say, yes, I want that. I want more of it. But then starting in verse 3 can feel a little bit like a bait and switch. You're like, okay, I've, I've signed up. And then it says, but among you, there must not be any hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed, for that's improper for God's holy people among you. So maybe if you're reading this, you know, maybe you just need some encouragement. And so you want to highlight the things like, yes, love of God, grace. And then it's like, here it's like, okay, where, where does it get to the good stuff again? You know, you just kind of keep on reading down. And sometimes I can feel that way. But I think that this passage, as we go through it, the compassion of God is not only in the grace of God by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, that there's actually the compassion of God in this instruction. Okay, so what is sexual immorality? Let's just define that. What is sexual immorality? Well, the word used in the Greek is pornea, which is where uh, we get the word pornography, but what it means is any kind of sexual activity that is outside the lifelong covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. Any kind of sexual activity that is outside of the lifelong commitment, the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman, that that is sexual immorality. And so if we're going to give a definition of sexual immorality, what is a positive view of sex? What's God's view of sex? Well, sex is a gift from God created by God to be enjoyed and held in high honor by a man and a woman in marriage to promote human flourishing, and that God made us sexual beings and he blessed us. So that is, uh, yeah, that is good news right there. But where do we get this from? So I just want to go back again to uh, some foundational scriptures for us. We're going to go to Genesis 1, but you'll see in three verses how this uh, topic of sexuality is just, it's not a side topic of our faith. It's actually very central to who we are. So it says in Genesis 6, uh, Genesis 1, 26, said, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, the very first chapter in the first book of the Bible, we see that God says, let us, make mankind in our image. So what we see here in the very first chapter is an image of the Trinity, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit saying, let us, let us make mankind in our own image. One of the huge uh, things we should take away from that is that when it says God is love, we can say God is love because he is in a loving union with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He is a relational God. And so if he's going to make us in his image, we're going to be relational creatures. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
And God blessed them. And that word blessing means he wants you to be happy. <laughs> it's a holiness, but it's a happiness. It means laughter. It's, it's a blessing. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. So in three verses of the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, we see that God made us in his image, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that he made us for relationship and he made us male and female so that we would be one with him and one with one another in the institution of marriage and he blessed us. And the next thing we see is sexuality and sex is a part of that blessing. It's pretty amazing. And you read on in chapter two of Genesis, it describes when Adam and Eve come together. It says, when God brought Eve to Adam, he started singing a song. He said, whoa, man, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This is, I mean, you, all the love songs and, and rom-coms out there, like it, it, there's a reason why music to romance is such a big, th a big thing. This, this is what Adam was doing. He was singing a song. This is, this is the helper. This is the, the, the person who, who I was made to walk with, Eve. And this is what he says in verse 24. That is, why that, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So that is God's beautiful raw, sometimes in church, maybe it makes you feel a little uncomfortable view of sex, that it is good, it's holy, it is right within the context of how he made it to be. But then you just read one chapter over in Genesis 3, and we see that where God had made it as a blessing for us to walk with him and walk with one another. Beginning in verse 3, verse 1, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And then skip down to verse four and five where he says, where he responds to Eve, who says, well, God did say not to, not to eat it and says, well, he did say some of those things. But in verse four, he says, you will certainly not die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And I think we know what happens after that. They were deceived. They took from the forbidden fruit and their eyes were opened. And they had all the trees in the garden to eat from. They had the tree of life. And yet they decided, I don't trust that God is really who he says he is. And I believed the deceitful lie that if I had this fruit, that there was more out there for me than what God had for me. And so when we read Ephesians 5, 1 through 3, if we go back to our text, man, when I read this, it's like I do want relationship with God, but there's also a part of me that, if I'm honest, feels like, well, is this really the best way for me? Is this really the best way for me? Ephesians 5, 1 through 3, where it talks about, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Does anyone else feel that way sometimes? You just have this like, God, I know you're good. God, I know I want to walk with you, but is this really the best way? There was a time in my life where I viewed this, uh, I viewed it in that way. There was a time in my life where uh, I was in uh, high school, college in particular, where I would read scriptures like this, and I would just be like, man, that is not, uh, that's not for me, or that seems too extreme, or seems too prude, or it seems to, you know, fill in the blank, but I was just like, I, I, I just don't know if that's for me, and 
I had more of a comparative morality where I was grading myself on a curve of saying, well, I'm not, I'm not like following God's commandment, but I'm better than fill in the blank. You know what I'm saying? And so as I was doing that, I was like, you know what? I, I, I do want relationship with God, but I also am just trying to live my life in high school and college. And there's these desires and I just don't know what to do with those. And so I just tried to do the best that I could. Uh, and what ended up happening is I ended up getting a, uh, ended up getting, I didn't like fall into my lap, but it kind of did. Is like that, uh, is that the, I got an addiction to pornography and then I was like, well, maybe I'm not really addicted. Maybe I'll just uh, try to manage this. But then the other thing that happens as I was doing that is that I was really driven to, uh, to find uh, that romantic relationship that would satisfy me, that would meet my needs. And so that was where I was at. And for a while, I was just like everyone else. But then as time went on, that self-centered focus of self-fulfillment, of self-worship and wanting someone else to affirm me, to, to see me, to worship me, just realize that no matter what relationship, no matter how well-intentioned the person, no matter how you know, much I tried to pull away from pornography, that I was stuck, that I was in a, in a cycle of shame and brokenness, and I didn't tell a soul until there was other signs that things were starting to leak out where sometimes I would leave some, some of my, uh, some, some temptations uh, around some of my younger siblings. And I was like, what am I doing? Like leaving some of this material around. I just, I was, I was not even recognizing myself. And over time, like, man, that just led me to a really, really dark place. And yet still I was going to church or I was involved in uh, Christian things. And I was like, Lord, what, how? like if you're real and the gospel is powerful, like, how, how can I escape this? And so then I called out to the Lord. I said, you're going to need to help me. You're going to need to come and help me because I can't get myself out of this. And the whole time, I was just, it was a complete performance-based mentality of I'm trying my best. I'm trying my best. And then when I came to the end of myself, instead of seeing this passage like it was a performance or a report card, what God did was he called my name. Like he called my name in a way that as I, he answered my prayer in a way that I knew he was speaking directly to me. Like, have you ever experienced that where it's like, I'm asking God to show up and he actually responds in a way that's like, oh, you, you answered that one. <laughs> like you heard me and he, and he answered that and he gave me his hand and he gave me his compassion. And so instead of focusing on what he said not to do, what I started focusing on was that part where it says in verse two, where he gave himself up as an atoning sacrifice for my sins, that he gave himself for me, that he knew exactly where I'd been, what I'd done, and that he came for me instead, that it was still, it was while I was yet a sinner in my darkest place that he came and he demonstrated his love for me on the cross. And that kind of hope, that kind of life, it started to change my perspective and paradigm that, wow, maybe God is where I truly do get the affirmation of love. Maybe this is where I get fulfillment. Maybe this is where my sexual desires are pointing me towards is that I was made for union with him. Amen? Man, so that's that's what we're, that's, that was my story. And I know, have you had an experience like that? Or maybe you're in a place like that. Now, why is this so important for us to go through, go through Genesis and go through review? It's important because I want to emphasize that the scripture says sexuality is a gift from God. 
It's not a creation of the world or biology. It's, not, it's, it's a gift from God. He is wanting us to enjoy this gift for its original intent, to strengthen covenant relationship with a man and a woman in, in the form of marriage. And we must, uh, so that's number one, just that sexuality is a gift. It's good. And then number two is that we must settle in our minds that Jesus is a good authority in our lives, in all areas, including sexuality. So when uh, we went through earlier in the year an identity in Christ practice, where we were just soaking in the truths of Scripture that when we come to faith in Christ, that he says that you are a new creation and that you're no longer your old self, but you put on the new self and that you are actually in Jesus Christ. You're in me. You're a part of the body of Christ. And that that identity more than your ethnicity, which uh, is important, more than your sexuality, which is important, more than your giftings, more than your passions, like that identity, when all of those areas of life are in alignment of holistic, like how, Lord, am I to walk in these areas of life as a, mem- as a member of the Christ, as a member of the body, that's where flourishing happens. We were praying beforehand in uh, one of the uh, worship uh, team members just got a picture of different compartments with different things in it, just all being thrown out on the table, which is a very familiar uh, scene in my house with young kids, just things being tossed out all over at the table. But sometimes we can have compartments in our lives of like, this is my sexual life. This is my work life. This is my church life. This is my, you know, whatever. And God's calling us to pour them all out on the table from Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, Tuesday, all the same, we are all in alignment of saying, Jesus, you are trustworthy to follow in all areas of my life, including sexuality. Amen? Love that picture that was shared. Man. So you might be sitting there and being like, okay, I'm tracking with you, but I've got questions. And here's where I feel like this, I would love to uh, be able to have more time, but I just, some questions that I've heard over the years of walking with people that I've had myself, just to write down, maybe you find yourself in one of these. Some questions of how is this good news for me? What if I'm single and not married? How is this good for me to be in waiting? Or what if I was married, but now I'm divorced? Uh, What if I have the gift of singleness? What if that, how is that a good thing? Or what if uh, same-sex attraction is something that I have, and I'm not attracted to the opposite sex. How is this good for me? What if I'm in a difficult marriage and sex has not been what I've expected? Uh, what if I was, uh, I love how uh, one pastor said it, I, I got in the marriage expecting, you know, I was promised uh, angelic, heavenly, orgasmic sex, and that just wasn't what was, what was there. You know, it was just like unending. It was like, oh, this is different than what the movie said. This is different than what I thought was promised. What if sexual abuse in my life or in my family has deeply impacted my soul to the point where I don't know if I can recover or see sexuality in the right way? You know, I find that in church, these are more of the types of questions underlying beneath the surface that we're wrestling with. There is a beautiful calling of God in the gospel that impacts us and heals our sexuality when we are made one in Christ. And just in preparing for this message, um, how do we walk this out if you find yourself in one of those questions? 
Well, one, I just think it begins with us seeing the compassion of Christ for us. And again, just looking at the first two verses that Christ gave himself for us, that he knew exactly where we were at, and he gave himself for us as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, for the sins done uh, to us, for the sins that we've committed, that he, his blood has purchased us. It's amazing as we put faith in him. But here's the thing is that he also calls us to covenant to himself. John 10, 3 says that the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep out by name and he leads them out. And so I'm up here on stage speaking one to many. But the amazing thing about the Holy Spirit is that he can speak to you right now and he knows your name. He knows your story. He knows your sexual history. He knows your past. He knows your, your heart's desires. And he can speak to you and he can lead you out like a good shepherd as you follow and trust him. And so I just want to encourage us to trust him and to say, God, would you show me the compassion that you have for me in this area? Okay? That we don't need to only have the compassion of God. We also need the conviction of God. So that's number two. Following Jesus and sexuality means that we're going to encounter the compassion of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So let's keep going in verse five and reread that again. Sorry, verse four. So it said right before this, let there not be a hint of sexual immorality or impurity or greed, for it's improper for God's holy people. Then it says in verse four, nor shall there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them, it says in verse 7. So what is this talking about? Well, there's a lot said here, but here's what I want to focus on our time here right now. This is the only place in the book of Ephesians where it talks about the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is a huge thing talked about in Jesus' ministry, Uh, And here it says that the kingdom of Christ and of God is that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And what I want to point out here, we're going to get to maybe some of your questions about, okay, what does this mean for me? But I want to point out here is that the kingdom of God will not have, uh, will, will have thanksgiving, will have boundaries around it so that some of the darkness, some of the, uh, the abuses of sexuality will not make its way in to the kingdom of God. It's actually a good thing. It's a place where the wrath of God, which has been satisfied in Jesus as our atoning sacrifice, is not put on the people who have committed these acts of disobedience. It's a place of, of there is no fear because it's been driven out by love. It's a place where there is no shame, there is no guilt, that we are all made one in Christ. The kingdom of God is what he's talking about. And what he's saying is the kingdom of God is not partners with darkness. It's not partners with darkness. And so church, you are beloved. You are, uh, he loves you. He gave himself as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice for you so that he could call you out of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. This is the kingdom. So 
We have a positional authority when we are... Uh, when we put our faith in Jesus, it says that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit and we are actually spiritually, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. That is where we're at. But there is a practical day in, day out living that we are experiencing that identity and there is a responsibility we have as children of God to walk that out, okay? There's a blessing of being a part of a family like my kids, uh, when we do Sabbath or we do birthdays, we celebrate them, honor them. They love those parts of being in a family. Sometimes the chores that they do or the, thing, the responsibilities they have, or like Donnie said, trying to shepherd their heart in Thanksgiving, it's a little bit harder. They don't like that part as much. And there's parts to this that are, are, that are a holy calling, which we'll get to in a second, of us living out like our our, our lives, including our sexuality, in a way that would point to the kingdom of God. Amen? But he didn't just come to rescue us individually from, from sin. He also came, it says in 1 John 3, 8, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And that darkness is not just an abstract sin that we can't not really see, but we see some of the fruits of it. Well, we can see the fruits of it, unfortunately, uh, really clearly. In the 1960s and 70s, the sexual revolution uh, was when you were throwing off at that time any kind of external authority and being liberated to do and express whatever you felt like. And so if you were in any way following tradition at that time, you were called a square, okay? So in that kind of enlightenment came free love, came the hippie movement. And there was, there was some things in that that I think were a, a good reprove to the church. For one, the church didn't really, at that point, talk much about sex or elevate it as a gift. And what the hippie movement, in a weird way, kind of like recognized is that it's a good thing. Well, it is a good thing. God made it. But the way that they used it was not how God intended it. And it was a radical, self-fulfillment, uh, individualistic mindset. We're still living in that 60 years later, 60, 70 years later, or whatever it is. Uh, you guys can do the math. You're following what I'm saying, hopefully. So we're living in that. Well, what are some of the fruits of that? What are some of the fruits of that? I could share so many statistics about the sexual brokenness and not just sexual brokenness for us, but the real harm that's been done in our society that is not leading to human flourishing. Just a few stats. I mean, I could share so many. But one in five women in a 2015 census survey in the U.S., one in five women in the U.S. have experienced sexual abuse. And really what that means is that there was either attempted or completed rape. One in five women have experienced either attempted or completed rape in their life. 73% of teenagers today have viewed pornography. The average age of children exposed to pornography is age 11. I actually think it's lower than that. But the more and more it's prevalent, the more and more our children are exposed to this. And you might say, well, hey, it's not hurting anybody. I'm not like, well, today there are an estimated 50 million victims of human trafficking globally, where there are people men, women, and children against their will put into uh, situations to perform sexual acts against their will. 50 million. 
Antioch, Waco, uh, the founder of Unbound Global, Susan Peters, when she was confronted with this truth of in our own state, like from Waco to Dallas to Fort Worth to Houston, like is one of the biggest areas of sex trafficking in our nation, it was really dark to the point where she didn't want to enter into that. But she said, I feel like God's saying, I've got to do something. I've got to respond because the kingdom of God is not meant to, to partner with darkness, but to expose it to expose it. And so Unbound Global, this is where I got the, uh, Unbound North, Pe- North Texas, this is what, where I got the statistic from is that you know, it, this ministry started and there's so many other good organizations doing good work in this, but I just share that. Like this isn't just about like us. This is about our world. This is about innocent uh, children and people who are because of sexual appetite, like there are real consequences. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. So I know some of that is heavy, but at the same time, we need to put the two together of compassion and conviction. Because the church, I think, has sometimes been too heavy on the conviction and enter into what I would say culture wars of big topic issues. But what we haven't done is realize the plank in our own eye and how we need to be a place of repentance because we ourselves have not lived out what Scripture says. And we need to be a place of compassion and conviction where there's confession, there's healing, and there's wholeness that can be found here. And in Luke 7, one of my favorite Scriptures, see, Jesus is the master of this. He is worthy of us to follow. In Luke 7, Jesus is invited to a Pharisee's house for dinner. It's a setup. He's wanting to trap Jesus. So Jesus shows up at this guy's house. But there's this woman who finds out Jesus is eating there. And pick up in Luke 7, verse 37, it says, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he, Jesus, was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisee named Simon, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. He said that to himself. And Jesus answered him. I love that. Jesus, knowing what he was thinking, answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he goes on and asks him a question. Who do you think is going to love more? The one who's been forgiven little or the one who's been forgiven much? And Simon says, the one who's been forgiven much will love more. And then he says, he says, well, this woman, though her sins are many, In verse 47, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, he didn't say that she wasn't uh, free from sin, they are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? I feel like that picture is a beautiful picture of the compassion of God on the individual, with also recognition, yes, 
that there is, uh, there's still a uh, sexual, that, that sexual immorality has still been done. But we don't want to fall into the religious Simon uh, Pharisaical mindset of saying, man, if you were really a holy man, you would not let this woman touch you if you really knew what was happening. And I feel like with, with Jesus, there's this, beautiful, uh, there's this beautiful combination of compassion with conviction that he would say, I'm a friend of sinners. Mary Magdalene, scholars believe she came out of prostitution, was one of Jesus's best disciples. <laughs> like we learned so much from her. She's one of my heroes. The woman at the well in John 4, the woman with five husbands, if you read the Gospel of John, Jesus is saying in riddles to different people, are you the son of God? Are you? No, I'm the son of man. He just tells her, I am the Messiah. I am the one who's come. And he then sends her as the first apostle, first sent one back into her village to share the good news. So Jesus is not only coming to forgive, he's elevating people who are humble and in need of the physician to come and to be used in his kingdom in mighty ways. And there's not only, and this isn't just for us today. When this was preached to the Ephesian church, Ephesus is the center of the temple of Artemis. So Artemis is the goddess of fertility. So orgies were common practice at their worship. This was like, if you were to come to Christ from that pagan environment and you were a male, F.F. Bruce in his commentary said that it would not be uncommon for you to have a wife that you put in front of your, you put in charge of your domestic affairs you would then have a mistress that you would go to. Then you would go to a brothel and you would have all of these different relationships. Imagine coming to Christ as that man and you read this and this high bar for sexual ethic and you realize something's got to change. The abuse that I've been doing to, my, uh, to these women, which are slaves really, has got to stop. Me uh, going and worshiping these idols in this way has got to stop. My wife is not just a manager of my home. She's someone to be cherished. That was not, that was not a thing in that culture. And it's like, wow, this is what God is saying about sexuality for not just for ourselves, but for our world to see human flourishing. And when we live like this, then we see the light of God come. But some of you might be like, okay, I hear this, but with that being said, I still feel like I'm stuck. I still feel like I'm trapped. And there might be some room, uh, like this is stirring up some things, where instead of just trying harder, it might be to look under the hood and check, God, what are some of the ways that I'm trying to meet valid emotional needs in an ungodly way? What are the roots happening here? And just in our church, you know, I've, I've been a part of this church for about 11 years, walked with a lot of guys in this topic, was a young adult pastor. And uh, in, this was in 2019. I was just like feeling like we needed a breakthrough as a church in the area of sexual wholeness in, in, our, in our culture and in, in men, just like so many guys struggling. And I had a dream one night. And in the dream, I had life group leaders in, all around the, in a living room, and I was passing out a discussion guide that they were going to do in their small groups on, uh, on sex, and they had to do with uh, confession and just talking about sexual history and just trying to open the conversation in my dream. This is what I was doing. 
And I remember so vividly as I handed this discussion guide to one particular couple, they looked at me with eyes as big as saucers and said, uh, I don't feel comfortable doing this. And in the dream, I was just like, well, why? And we talked about it. And I was frustrated because I just felt like, like people are in need. If we don't talk about it, what are we going to do? And so in that dream, that, that there was this one you know, couple, and that, I think that can be a feeling of the church in the dream of just like, I don't feel comfortable talking about this. But then as I was discouraged in the dream walking away, there was another person in the dream, uh, and she was there with her four-year-old son, and she said, Joe, I think this is great. I think this is needed. We're with you. Let's do it. And I think it was really profound as I was praying about the dream that she was with her son and that this is not just for the people in our church. This is for the generations to come. This is for more. And so I shared that dream with uh, Zach, who was our lead pastor at the time. And we said, okay, like, let's just pray. Maybe God has something for us here, that, here there. The next week, uh, Zach got an email from Sean Conroy and Nathan Shaw, who said, hey, we've just... We've experienced some, uh, some healing and victory in the area of uh, sexual wholeness and following Jesus from other ministries. We'd like to bring something like that here. Is there any interest at all? So Zach quickly forwarded me the email. We met up. We started talking about it. And as the world was shutting down in 2020 from the pandemic, we were launching Pure Desire online for the first time. And Pure Desire is a ministry to, for our, our men. And then along with that, there's a ministry called Betrayal and Beyond. And it's a, it's a ministry that we didn't create, but it's a curriculum that talks about, you know, your unwanted sexual behavior might get you in to the group, but it touches on every area of your life and how you respond emotionally and how to align it with Christ. And it's been amazing. And we've had so many different testimonies and people who've gone through this. So now, years later, we now have three groups of guys going currently and a wives group that's meeting too. And I just want to all together just honor all of the people who have made a way for this to happen because there has been so much healing and wholeness. So can we just clap for the people who stepped out? Like, it has been probably one of the most evident places where God just has his hand on that area. And it's not easy, but his hand is just on that area. So you might find yourself here and just saying, Joe, I feel, where do I go from here? And there's so many different things I could say, but just, it's not just trying harder, because that's like pulling away from like a, a rope or like a zip line. The more you pull, the tighter it gets. You actually need to figure out how to cut the rope. And that's what God wants to do as you go through good Christian counseling, as you go to different programs in our city. Uh, there's great organizations around here, but also just as you're walking in community, we need to have a, a culture of where confession is celebrated and where weight is lifted. You guys, thank you for listening. I know this is longer. We're going to go to our last point. I just feel like it's important to try to fit in as much as I can. Our last point, and it's that God has called us God has called us to be light in the Lord. God has called us to be light in the Lord. So Ephesians 5, 7 through 10. Therefore, do not be partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. That's your identity. It's not that you are like light. Now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. 
For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. I love that last phrase, find out what pleases the Lord, because this acknowledges that this is not easy. It wasn't easy for the Ephesians church, and it's not going to be easy for us. And that, that Greek word is actually test, discern. You need wisdom to find out what pleases the Lord. You need wisdom. So we need wisdom to live out being children of light. So how, so how do we do that? One of the things that I think is really inspiring is just to see the big picture of where all this is headed. In this book, Glenn Harrison, a better story that I referenced on the beginning, he says this. He says, Jesus says at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be, nor be given in marriage. The Bible does not teach that there will be no marriage in heaven, though. Rather, it teaches there will be one marriage in heaven between, between Christ and his bride and the church. I love that because when you zoom out at the big picture, the story began with a marriage in the garden. All throughout scripture, the Old Testament, God says, I am your husband to Israel. He talks to them in form of covenant and he woos them back as if they have gone out in adultery. But then Jesus shows up in the New Testament. The very first miracle he does is at a wedding. And the book ends, Revelation ends, the story ends with Jesus and his bride and the spirit saying, come Lord Jesus at the wedding bride of the lamb. That's what we're made for. That is the good news. That is the good news. And so this is incredible. So you have a gift. Your sexuality is a gift and you are called to steward that gift as a child of light. If you are single, you choosing faithfulness to Christ and the area of sexuality is light shining in the darkness. It will bear fruit of goodness, righteousness, and truth. Your faithfulness to Christ, if you never marry, if you never have sexual activity, you're like, wow, how is that fair? I'm telling you, if you, have, if you show your faithfulness to Jesus, there will be fruit of goodness, righteousness, and truth. And you are not... This is a vocation and a high calling and a gift. Jesus was single, Paul was single, and you are not a secondary citizen of our church. You are not an add-on to our family. You are an integral part of our family. And if you are single and you feel like you have the gift of marriage and you're in waiting, you devoting your uh, attention, your sexual desires are actually pointing you to a better and a greater country that God has called us to, a kingdom of God, a person who is the bridegroom king. It's Jesus. And so singleness, as you're faithful to him, there will be good fruit that will come that will be light in a dark world. Married people, you choosing faithfulness to Christ in your sexuality in marriage as a way to point people to Christ's love for his church, it will bear fruit of goodness, righteousness, and truth. I love what he said in this book. He said, you know, we celebrate weddings and we should, but do we celebrate anniversaries of years and years and years of actually the covenant being, being renewed, of the covenant being uh, kept, of the covenant? And that is actually even more worth celebrating because it's, it's showing that there is a God who loves his church in such a way as this. Amen? So here's how I want to invite the band to come on up. You know, Augustine said, our hearts are restless until we find rest in thee. 
Our hearts are restless until we find rest in God. And so this area, I know there's a thousand different things happening in the room when we talk about this. It just felt like, you know, we just need to preach the word. And, and also that this is a moment for us to ask the Holy Spirit to search us and speak to us. Yeah. And so that's what we're going to do as we close and the band might uh, begin playing. But we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to there's a on the, the last slide. It just said, Holy Spirit, come and speak to me. And it's just inserting in your name. It said, I want you to know as if you're starting the sentence for the Holy Spirit. So Joe, I want you to know. Or Sarah, I want you to know. Or Caleb, I want you to know. Or whoever, insert your name, I want you to know. And we're just going to believe and trust that just like God calls us by name as a good shepherd, he's going to say, he's going to fill in the blank. And then since this is a relationship, it's not just about hearing God. It's saying, I will respond to him. So I'm just going to leave some space to do that now. And then we're going to pray and respond. So, Father, I pray that you would come and speak to us. Holy Spirit, what is it that you want us to know? After all that's been said, God, what is it that you want us to know? It's not the song that we have planned to play, but I just feel like what's coming up is the lyrics of an old hymn of turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So I just wanna, I'm just gonna sing that um, over us. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face And the things of earth will grow strangely dim In the light of his glory and grace So Father, we do just say we love you. We look at your face, Jesus. We pray, God, would you come and speak to us about your compassion, about your holiness, about the goodness you have for us. So I invite you to stand as the band leads us, or if you want to stay sitting, that's fine, but we are going to have our prayer team up and uh, just encourage you, if it's in this topic or if it's in any other area, um, just that we would have uh, our prayer team available. And if you are a parent in the room, I uh, would ask one of you to please go get your kids as we went a little bit long. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, y'all take it away. <laughs>